Welcome to A Learner's Journey. My name is Molly Sanders, and the goal of this podcast is to inspire and motivate you by connecting you with a variety of passionate horsewomen and men who have dedicated their lives to helping horses and their people. I'm grateful you're here. My guest for this episode is a leading equestrian journalist and author named Tom Motes. You'll find Tom's writing regularly appearing in Western Horseman, Equus, and Eclectic Horseman magazines. He's the author of many books, including a series I'm currently reading. He brings to life the teachings of master horseman Harry Whitney through Tom's memoirs as a learner. He has a brand new book called Main Thoughts, Essays on Horsemanship that's currently on pre-order, and he's generously offered a sneak peek to followers of this podcast. To get a hold of this sneak peek, make sure you're either subscribed to my newsletter or you're a member of A Learner's Journey Facebook group, or both. You can get access to both of these in the notes below. Now on to the conversation with Tom. The way that I came across you, you know this, but people that are listening don't yet. Um, I have been studying with uh, Charlie Snell for a little while, and he is a huge uh, fan of Harry Whitney. And so I started to look into who is this Harry guy and uh, and found you and all the books that you've written. Um, and then I also came across another person um, who I interviewed on the podcast and she published through you. And so I started thinking, hmm, maybe I should reach out to him. And I started reading one of your books and it was super interesting. Reached out to you. You were so gracious uh, to join me. So that's kind of the background on how I came to find out about you. And so I have a bunch of questions to ask you about your journey and the books, and we'll probably run into more stuff as we get going into the conversation. So well, it's, it's a pleasure to be here. And, and uh, when I got your email, I wasn't certain, uh, you know, I had to sort of figure out who you were and um, what the, you know, what you were asking. And uh, you had sent me a couple of links and one was to Charlie's interview and one was to Michelle, our titanium cowgirl friend. Yes, her, yes. Her interview. And uh, what I was really excited about is how hungry you are for information and how much you're really on a journey. You know, you're really looking. And, right. and that's the way I felt like I've been. And it's definitely the way I got started. So I felt immediately like a connection with uh, with your approach because it's so genuine and, and you're you're in this for your own knowledge but you love sharing your what you come across that's important you love sharing that with other people it's exactly what I've done with my books so I'm, I'm delighted to be here and I've been looking forward to this to tell you the truth very cool that's awesome yeah I definitely think there's a kindred spiritness happening uh, between the two of us so um, wonderful so one of the things that I wondered is um, which came first for you writing Books or horses? Well, writing. I okay. wanted to be a writer from the time I was young. High school, middle school, probably. And uh, I didn't get bit with the horse bug till I was uh, about 30, in my, my early 30s. And um, my wife had had horses in a previous marriage and had lost her horses. And it was a whole thing, debacle there. And uh, so... We, you know, I've been married for 
over a decade when all of a sudden, actually about this time, or today's July 4th, it was like mm -hmm. July 4th, no joke. And she got this paper and it said, quarter horse Amish train, and she had to go see this horse. And so we mm -hmm. get this horse and this horse comes home. And like, I just, it just lit something in me. Now I grew up on a, on a dairy farm, large dairy farm in Virginia. We had 350 head of Holsteins and, and uh, we had horses, some horses, ponies on the place that I fed and I rode a horse or two, but never, never had a real connection until, until this horse came home. <laughs> and, and uh, yeah, it, it was just like the primer charge lit the major explosion in me. And um, the writing had already been an obsession with me. And I was writing, doing, doing a lot of uh, sort of independent living, off-grid living, solar energy, uh, organic farming. I was writing about those subjects and was pretty, pretty well known for that. But boy, when the horse thing hit with the writing, it just, that was, the, that was it. And it's never been the same since. <laughs> so so it's, it's interesting because, so you're, um, you mentioned before that your background is in journalism. So it's not just, you know, um, writing novels or, and I shouldn't use the word just, I mean, both are incredible, but the, the, um, uh, inspiration behind journalism is research and really digging in and, and learning about things. So is that like when you get passionate about something, is that kind of the first thing that you think about is, oh, I need to, I need to dig in and, and write about this? Yeah. And I think with me, it's just organic. I mean, it just, mm -hmm. uh, it's like a, like a have to, <laughs> right. I can't help myself, right. you know, and I'm, I'm a little obsessive about it, you know, and, and I've never been more obsessive about anything that I am about horses and trying to get better with them. So, um, and really this ties into how I ended up doing the writing that I've done in, you know, I've written, I think it's 13 books now and probably at least 650 articles, maybe closer to 700. I kind of lost count at about 550. And it's, wow. it's been a few years ago. And um, so what happened was this horse came home on July 4th, Niji, and um, I immediately just started going, 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 trying to find, trying to find what I could do. And as a journalist, uh, you know, you have an opportunity to write about things that you are expert in and mm -hmm. those will get published. But if you are a complete and utter novice and don't know what you're doing, you can't really go there. So, but you can interview people and you can do, like you say, sort of research pieces. Right. So I uh, started interviewing people and I also did a lot of, you know, like medical sort of case reports for Equus. And then I could write essays about my experiences. And so I started writing essays about messing stuff up and having wrecks and <laughs> getting in trouble. And like, what am I going to do about this? Right. And I started doing this type of article that I called a round table. And mm -hmm. I think I started it at Western Horseman. Um, and I've written for, you know, pretty much all the major American publications and a few overseas in English and uh, English language ones. And um, I would talk to two or three or four different prominent horse people, professional horse people, clinicians or researchers. And I would on one subject and I'd bring it into this article. And so you'd have four different views 
oh. in this one article, right? Mm -hmm. I still do them at Eclectic Horseman magazine. I, I do several of those a year. Over there. Okay. And so I had access to everybody because being a journalist like that, you know, right. so like if I had a question about something I needed help on, I could do a round table and I could talk to everybody who's out on tour doing the big shows. Right. Mm -hmm. So I was doing one. And this was for Western Horsemen on uh, picking up a soft feel. Mm -hmm. you know? What in the heck is picking up a soft feel? Like? Right. That even me. You know, like yeah. I am so lost. I mean, I, I I really need help on that. Yeah. And I I interviewed several people, you know, that everybody, household name people. And a friend of mine here local, uh, she said, You gotta talk to this guy, Harry Whitney. And I'm like, okay. I'm like, tell me about Harry. She says, Oh, I just saw him over in Tennessee. And anyway, she got me his number and we got on the phone and, and I was asking about this. And it was the most different conversation about horses I had ever had. And mm -hmm. I had had a lot of them in a very short period of time. And mm -hmm. I had watched every video I could get my hands on and read every book I could get my hands on. I'd been to see a bunch of people, you know. And um, Harry was so careful and thoughtful about the words that he used. And he was really trying to help get his point across to me the best that he can. And he was in no way self-promoting, you know, sometimes you come across that as a journalist. And so you're trying to get the piece done, but you know, it's like people are talking to you in sound bites that are like sort of pre-recorded. Right. You know? Yes. And, um, and we talked several times, you know, over the course of several weeks. And, and, and I probably had a couple of wrecks in between there as I was go out and try something. And, I, and then I called back like, uh, but what about this? You know, and all the time I'm trying to write the story. Right. <laughs> and finally, Harry said, you know, this is hard enough to discuss between two people. If we're standing together in the round pen with a horse. Like, you know, over the phone like this, it's just, it's even harder. Why don't we, why don't you come out and um, spend a couple of weeks with me here? And he, he had a place in Arizona at the time. And, and so, at, this, at this time, Tom, you're, where, where were you living? In Virginia. Okay. So it's not. I've always lived here in Virginia. I'm okay. on the farm now. So I'm in, um, I'm up near the, the Blue Ridge Parkway, Floyd, Virginia. Okay. Beautiful yeah. area. But it's not just down the road. You had to like. Really so, so I mean, like you know, I got the credit card out, spent plastic money, got a plane ticket. Wonder what am I doing? What am I doing? And like, missed the first flight. Couldn't get, couldn't get, couldn't get there the first day. Like, and I'm just thinking, man, am I insane? I need to go home and get back, you know, to work. Like, this is crazy. Right. Got out there, and like, the two weeks changed my life. I mean, like, literally changed the trajectory of everything that I did. I learned so much. I was the sponge. And then this here is what reminds me of you. Like mm -hmm. I, you've got your first experience under your belt, I can tell. Mm -hmm. and, you know, but you know something's missing or something's been missing. And you're like, what is it? Like what what has to happen here? And that's exactly the way that I was then. And then I didn't have the experience that you have. And in a way, I'm kind of glad because if I had grown up from 12 underwriting instructors and learning things a way that it might be more difficult to undo that. Right. Whereas I was kind of blessed in a way that I was picking this stuff up fresh, 
Right. And I was unlearning things that I had learned since I was 12. Right. And I know that people that I teach struggle with that. Um, sometimes overcoming those things is harder than if you just figure it out and go with it. Right. Very much so. So anyway, um, the first book that I wrote, well, the first book I wrote about my horsemanship experience is called Discovering Natural Horsemanship. And that was pre-Harry, although Harry wrote the forward for that. And so okay. that's a lot about that really early time where I'm trying to figure stuff out and I'm, I'm getting. And how, how long ago, how long ago was that? Is it like That's a good question? <laughs> like 2000, early 2000s, 2002, okay. 2003. Okay. Like that. 20 years ago. Yeah. How's that happen? Yeah. And, um, and so, yeah. And, and then, so the first book that I wrote after going to Harry's is called Horses Thought. And when I go back and I look at that book, it, it, it just sort of captures that moment. But I'm always fascinated at how much of Harry's horsemanship I really grasped in that first couple of weeks. Right. And I think it's part because I was really hungry, but I'd also been looking, really searching. So, right. right. Anyway, it was- and having having that, like you said, having that fresh perspective, like some of the concepts that I'm learning right now with Charlie, that as I'm reading your book, I realize how much of an influence Harry has been on Charlie's horsemanship. And boy, have I, I mean, I've lost sleep, grappling with things, trying to reorganize everything in my brain, right? Because I've I've got all this stuff in there. And, and I think, you know, one of the things that I've talked to Charlie about and to other people is just that as humans, it's so easy as we're learning to try to categorize things in rules, right? And then you meet someone like Harry and he doesn't think in rules, right? I even I, I'm I'm one book in to your okay. three book series, and I can already <laughs> see that. Like he's he's constantly um, experimenting and trying different things. And so if you only saw him for twenty minutes, you might go, "Oh, okay, I got it." You do X, Y, and Z, and you know, and then he might do something totally different and blow you out of the water because you've made rules out of X, Y, and Z. Mm-hmm. So it is really interesting to think about that you you started with this clean slate. Not that it wasn't challenging, I'm sure, to learn, um, but I think that it's a different type of learning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it was a huge, it's still a perspective change. And, you know, in my own, I always assumed I'd just be the complete novice forever. You know, like when I was writing Horses Thought, I was like, yeah, I'm just going to be like driving people nuts, trying to get better with horses the rest of my life. I get to see this. But at some point along the way, people started asking my opinion about things Mm -hmm. because I was starting to get some things done. And then people asked me to come over. And then before long, I couldn't afford to do that unless I charged. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Like I never, never in a million years would have thought I'd been teaching horsemanship. Right. And yet that's. That's what's happened. But um, as a writer, obsessively trying to get this down and loving to share the honest aspects of it with other people, which was such a huge part of that, um, to explain it on the page to people requires such such clarity that if I don't have it clear in my experiential world and then in my mind, there's no way I can put it on the page that you'd have a chance of understanding. Right. Right. So the more that I got down and the better I got, the 
more work was already done to then teach people. Right. And I found that like when I start to teach people, it's like, well, I kind of worked that out in my experiences, but I also worked that out in these chapters. And now I know exactly what to say. Right. To try to convey this idea, which they're often difficult ideas. And a lot of times the uh, the challenge isn't with the horse. You know, the challenge is with helping the person understand how to get the change with the horse and maintain that and, 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 and develop that different relationship. So, yes. you know, one person might be a surgeon and the other person might be a teacher and they have completely different world experiences. And maybe I've got an anecdote with this person that'll work that won't work with this person and vice versa, even though we're teaching the same thing right? and the horse has the same kind of pro, you know what I'm saying? I do. Um, so there's so much in that. Drive well, and it, it, it makes me think about how like, you know, somebody like if people are watching you with horses um, or, or Harry or um, you know, you're having to, if you're trying to get the same thing accomplished, like let's say you're wanting to, lead a horse behind you, um, and have them maintain a distance behind you. You're trying to accomplish the same thing, but the, you have two different horses. You're going to approach it maybe in, in different ways with those horses. What I'm hearing you say is that you've, you've learned the knowledge studying with Harry and other people, but mainly Harry, it sounds like where you're now able to do that. And it's just kind of part of you. But then you also, because of your having to dig deep to understand this, to be able to write about it, you also are able to adapt your teaching to, let, let's say it's a teacher, you're going to be able to say, okay, can you, you're, you'll be able to compare it to their world as a teacher. Well, I just think I've got, I've written an encyclopedia. And so I have an encyclopedia to draw from. Yes. And, and the challenge as a teacher is to help the person with their horse. Right. And if, if there's some way I can find to get a, a, a difficult point across to a person in their own language, in their own way, then hallelujah. I mean, that's that's what I'm trying to do. Right. Um, and that can be difficult, but when it's successful, it can also be profoundly wonderful. Yes. Um, and so, you know, for instance, I tend to, uh, I don't bring horses in hardly mm -hmm. ever. And, and it's because I can bring a horse here and I can get some nice changes, say, and then the horse goes back and it's like, I didn't do anything. And the people right. think I ripped them off, you know? And, right. and so I, I like to work with people with their horses where they are so that they can both come along together. Now, you know, if it was say starting a young horse under saddle, not everybody needs to know how to start a young horse and maybe right. that work could be done here, there, or anywhere. And I could get that going and then they could pick that up and go. Right. Right. Cause they're not going to be teaching for young horses, how to be started. Right. But, but in general, that relationship building, like if, if I build a relationship with that, this horse and things go great and the other person can't establish that kind of relationship, but the horse is going back to that person. Well, how is that? that's not really helping them. Right. And it could even really kind of send the horse back. Now he's seen this and now this is like this. It, it could possibly make it tougher. You know, I mean, I don't know, but. Right. So yeah. 
anyway, and I'm just saying the, the writing set me up to teach and I would never have guessed that in a way that I would not have guessed. You know, right. that, that was a complete surprise to me. I mean, That's it's been really, great now, but it's really, it was totally, a total right. It's not what you were setting out to accomplish. It's not at all. What I yeah. Coming, yeah. You know? That's really cool. And now it's time for a short commercial break. I'd like to invite you to a private Facebook group that's inspired by this podcast. It's called A Learner's Journey, and it's made up of horse lovers from all over the world who come together to share about their horse lives. We discuss these interviews, share about learning opportunities, and a whole lot more. It's a safe and positive place to be. You can find a link to join in the show notes, or you can search Facebook for A Learner's Journey. We hope you join us. And now back to the conversation with Tom. And so um, how long have you been teaching? Oh my goodness. Uh, probably, what year is it? Right. <laughs> At least 10 years. Okay. Okay. That's really, that's really. And, and that's also evolved. And I've, I've taught some clinics and I was starting to do quite a few clinics before COVID set in. And then that kind of put the brakes on traveling and stuff. Right. And I've done one in Canada and done some around, done a lot more just sort of regionally here, but uh, I really enjoy that. That's been a lot of fun when I've had an opportunity to do that. Right. That's really, that's really cool. Um, so I have a couple questions that are directly related to the, to the book. So, um, your cult starting, um, six cults, two weeks, and it's from a clinic that you took with Harry in 2014. That was two weeks long by invite only. Right. Cause he, well, it was, there were only so many slots available. Okay. Because the place was only so big. And okay. so I think it was 20 months. I mean, I was invited because I helped out and I was also, you know, I, I did just helped out. And there were two people that helped Harry with the horses, Anna and Ty, that you probably picked up on from the book. So, yes. you know, they were going to be there. The cooks were going to be there. I was going to be there. So there was a few of us like that, but mm -hmm. there were only X number of slots due to space constraints. And so right. that's why, and when it filled up, it was full. Okay. Yeah. And this is the only time he's done a clinic like this, right? So that you captured it. And one of the things I love about this book, and I'm excited to start the next volume, is you write in a way where you're describing every session with each horse. You're describing, you know, what Harry's saying, what, what the people are seeing, what conversations happen. I mean, I really feel like I'm sitting outside the round pen with everybody. And I don't know if I've ever read a book that's been written like that, a horsemanship book. Um, well, so I don't know of one. And that's one of the reasons that I was excited about it was I wanted to vicariously bring the reader right to the round pen, right to the bunkhouse discussion, right to the... And there were lots of reasons for that. Well, I mean, I just, I had never seen it done, but Harry's clinics have always been different from any others that I had attended. And when I first met Harry, he just did clinics. Well, that meant maximum of six riders, uh, usually about a week long, five days. Um, and each person basically gets an individual session with everyone else hanging out and asking questions while it goes along. Okay. And, 
you know, I had seen, I don't know how many, where there's 25 people and they're piled into an arena and one guy's got a microphone and whoever's having the biggest wreck gets all the attention. Yep. And then over in the back corner, there's the guy who thinks he's actually teaching the clinic, even though he's <laughs> in the clinic and he's trying to tell these four people how much he knows about stuff. Right. Like worthless. Yeah, I've, <laughs> like, I've, been, I've been to that clinic. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. And so, and I had two. And then when I went to Harry's clinics, I was like, wow, like one-on-one -on -one time with the clinician, like the whole time. And, and, you know, it could be maybe a little intimidating at first, but you realize that the people that are there are there to learn too. So no one's making fun of anybody, even though you're in the round pen by yourself and everyone's around there, you know, it's, uh, it's, everyone's got that goal. Everyone's supported. Like I, I've never been to a hairy clinic where I didn't, where this didn't fall into place. Mm -hmm. So, and Harry, he'll go in, ride a horse or take the lead rope or whatever. And then we have lunch and we have discussion at lunch. Often there's dinner. We have, we have breakfast. We have this. So there are these sit down at the table discussions between the sessions of action. When we have meals, incredible way to learn. I mean, I right. learned so much from auditing. I mean, I think I learned more from auditing Harry's clinics than I actually learned in writing in them. Although I learned things writing in them. I could not have learned by auditing alone. Right. But soaking that in and being able to ask questions and having people talk about it and have Harry's feedback. I mean, phenomenal. Like yeah. I was like blown away. And when I've done clinics, that's what I've done in my own because it's just, you just can't beat it. Right. But then he did the cold starting clinic and Harry Road did the majority, well, he worked with Anna and Ty and it was a lot of work. So Anna and Ty worked some horses, but Harry did the bulk of the, the work day mm -hmm. after day after day. Mm -hmm. And so to see someone who is a masterful horseman do his thing day after day after day right. for two weeks with the same horses, bring them along and be able to ask any question you want any time of the day while it's happening afterwards, it's up. unbelievable. It's so once he finished this clinic, people in hairy circles were like, are you going to do another one? Are you going to do another one? Well, we want to see you ride horses. We want to see you ride horses. So not that he doesn't ride horses in a regular clinic, but not like every day. Right. right? So right. out of this came a new kind of clinic that he started doing and he still does today. And they call them intensive clinics. Okay. Intensive clinics are six days long. Typically, sometimes there'll be five, depending on how, where he is and how the scheduling goes. Mm -hmm. Harry rides, there are five horses max. Harry rides all five horses, rides or works with, sometimes it's groundwork, you know, whatever, works mm -hmm. with all five horses for four days straight. And then the owners come back in and pick up the last two days with Harry's help and coaching. Right. And right. to see those changes, to see those changes. And for me as a, as a, as a horse owner, one of the things that would excite me for sure is to see what my horse is capable of doing, what, the changes my horses are capable of making the relaxation right. and how that came about. And like, is that my horse? Right. <laughs> you know, like, wow. And then when you get on, they, they actually, some of the people who go, they've, they've called the last two days, the great undoing. And it's, it's, it's a joke, but it's not because we're not hairy, you know, I mean, you know, so you get on your horse, but it doesn't really matter. You can feel 
how you can feel the change, right? You can feel the difference in the posture. You can feel right. the relaxation, right? And even though you're not going to ride that horse like Harry and be able to carry that horse forward as he would have day mm-hmm. seven, eight, ten, whatever, you're still going to feel what your horse is capable of and go home with that horse and haven't seen that, and you're going to make improvements. I mean, right. it's it's really really neat. So these days, like I just saw Harry in uh, Tennessee. He usually does four or five. Um, uh, weeks of clinic there at a place called Minden Fences Farm in Rogersville, Tennessee, every spring, May, June. And so I went to the first week and it was intensive and stayed for all of that. And then I made it back for the last week, which was a regular clinic. And, mm-hmm. and, and I, they're, they're both great. I just, I love it. But anyway, yeah. so this, this cold starting clinic, this, this trilogy that's out about that, that one clinic, it spurred on this whole other type of clinic. And that was really neat to, to see. That too. is really neat. Um, I didn't realize that I knew about the intensive. I'm, I'm hoping to go to one in September um, okay. in California. Um, but I didn't realize that it was came from that cult starting clinic. That's really, that's really cool. Um, so I have a couple questions for you that are there. They're, I think they get to the heart of my understanding at this point of what Harry's teaching, what um, Charlie's trying to share. Um, and I'd just be curious to get your thoughts on this as well. So one of the okay. one of the parts in the book is um, he's working with a young uh, mayor named uh, Bailey. And um, he goes to her pen. I think it's the first session that he does with her. And he starts off in her pen. And um, and then he realizes as he's bringing her through the gate that there's a little issue there that he wants to deal with, with her rushing through the gate. And um, there's a little section here that, do you mind if I read it? Go for it. Okay, cool. So um, it says, with Bailey at the stall, Harry was very careful to not only back the mare's feet away from the gate when she went to rush through and crowd him, but to back her until she had a change of thought. And just interject that, because I think that a lot of folks would hear that, okay, there's a horse that's rushing through the gate. I, I would know what to do with that. I need to back him up, right? But that, that, piece there of backing them until she had a change of thought is a big deal. Um, It is possible to back a horse who still hasn't changed the mental aspect of pushing, in which case you haven't affected a true change. You've momentarily moved the horse, but mentally she can be pushing every bit as hard as before if you don't get a mental shift. And that will again become a physical push at her first opportunity. So I think one of the things that is shifting for me um, is that idea of there's a physical change that we can make. And I think a lot of us, when we first start, that's what we're looking for is that physical change. Can I, if I back my horse up, like in that example with Bailey, I'm backing her away from the gate and I maybe back her three or four steps. Okay. I stop. She backed three or four steps. But what you're sharing there is that he keeps going until he sees a shift in her thought. Right. So can you share a little bit about that? Like, what does that look like? And in your experience, why is that so crucial? Well, thanks to Harry, you know, in this um, real laser focus on where's the horse's focus? Where's the horse's mind? Where's the horse's thought? 
every problem a person ever has with a horse comes down to the horse's thought not being with the human or it wouldn't be a problem. Yes. I mean, it's, it's kind of that simple. Or Harry's known to say, when the horse's body and his mind aren't in the same place at the same time, there's trouble in the household. That's yes. That's so great. here's Bailey pushing to get through the gate, crowding, right? Well, Bailey's mind is already through the gate and her body's still not there. And she's, there's trouble in the household. Yes. If you can't get big enough, do something significant enough to not only get them to back their body away, but get them focused here now, then you haven't interrupted the problem that the horse has. Right. And what's so fascinating to me, and I think this is so counterintuitive to people because it's just, it just gets to the nature of our sort of misunderstanding of, of how this thing goes. Say, for instance, you, you know, I maybe I've got a horse I haven't seen before. I get in the round pen. I got a flag and I'm standing there. Horse is just ripping around the round pen. Head up, calling to his buddies over there, right? You know, you, and they'll come to the gate, and push on the gate with their chest, you know, and that's because their mind's over at the bar and they want out of there. They, right. They're upset, right? Right. So I might whack that flag on the ground. Well, that's all of a sudden the horse gets even more intensely worried, right? Mm -hmm. But what I'm doing is I'm saying, hey, let that go. I'm over here. You can check this out. This is important. Whack the flag on the ground again. Things just ripping around, ripping around, ripping around. Well, sometimes I'll wait till they get to sort of like just pick a spot somewhere and go hit the flag there. They blow past it. Hit the flag there again. They blow past it. Now, I'm not trying to make the horse go. Right. And you see video after video after video just uh, of people running horses around a round pen forcing them, driving them so that they feel terrible. And then they suck back and here comes the horse, you know, heads up, eyes are like this and they don't feel good being with you, but it's worse being out there with you chasing them because they don't mm -hmm. like that. Right. Right. Not talking about that. I'm talking about just saying, Hey horse, I'm over here. Mm -hmm. And then what tends to happen is one time when you're getting ready to flag, they'll stop and they'll turn and they'll check you out because they mm -hmm. know if they go, to the next panel, you're going to flag them and they're kind of like tired of hearing this flag, right? Right. Well, but they'll stop and they'll look at you. I mean, like really look at you like, right. what is this? Right. And you're looking at you going, what is this? Guess what they're not doing? They're not thinking about leaving or they're not in the gate. They're not right. running around. Anything, see? Right. That's another example of like what is described there in the book with Bailey at the gate. See? Harry got big enough that finally Bailey was like, what? Right here, right now. And in that moment, and, and sometimes it's just a moment, but it works, but that feels better to him. Right. And, you know, there's so many examples that you could pick from. Like how many times have you seen someone sitting on a horse that can't stand still? Right. Back him, back him up. Well, get their mind here and drop the reins and sit there mm -hmm. and, visit with someone, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, right. that's the problem or the farrier comes, you know, and like the horse can't pull, eh, 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 get their mind here. You can pick up all four feet relaxed because right. you've done a lot of these things are symptom of the disease. And if you go mm -hmm. and you cure the disease, the symptoms, you don't have to work on the symptoms. Right. You know, like people will come and they'll say, my horse won't 
load in the trailer. Okay. Get the horse thinking in the trailer, the horse walks right up in the trailer. Like yes. I didn't work on trailer loading. I go out and I do like two minutes of groundwork off to the side of the road here, say go up and get in the trailer. He walks in the trailer and the person's ready to kill me. It's not intuitive to us. We hurt our kids through doors and we hurt our cattle through gates and we hurt our horses. And mm-hmm. it's so amazing and sometimes so difficult to describe to someone and explain to them that if you ask the horse on a loose rein, on a loose lead rope, the horse will actually do it. Like they just don't believe it. Like there's right. no way that horse is going to go on a circle around me unless I'm swinging the end of the lead rope at his butt. Right. Like I've even seen people draw a line on a horse and teach, put pressure over here to make them go forward, put pressure over here to make them go backwards. Right. They never discuss with the lead rope with slack between you and the horse with it touching the ground, you can say, horse, can you please look over there? And the horse can actually look over there and say, well, can you walk over there? And the horse can walk over there. Right. And so that's what I think everyone's actually looking for. Like people get all excited about this at Liberty stuff. Mm-hmm. That's great. But how does the horse feel at Liberty? Like, are you driving the horse into it just because the horse isn't connected with a rope to you, they can still have their ears pinned and their tail swishing and wishing that they were somewhere else. Right. But they can also really be focused with you and you can offer a feel at a distance and they can say, oh, sure. That's the willingness that starts to come in there. Right. Completely different feel between you and the horse. Right. Driving versus offering a feel and having a willingness. I mean, profoundly different. And, and I think that's what people really want. They want that kind of a relationship. But they go about it all all wrong. And it's, it's just because it's not intuitive to us. I mean, at least that's where I am today. That's what I'm thinking. It's also interesting to me because getting better with horses doesn't always have to do with the amount of time you've put in to getting better. No. With horses. There are people who win millions of dollars that I wouldn't let touch my horse. Right. Like, I wouldn't let them near a horse because I see how they do what they do. And there are people that I've taught that are fairly new and they can get some things working with the horse and they pick it up and that field gets going on and they don't have 15 years of riding lessons and show whatever. And, and, and that's where I said at the beginning, like in one, in one way, I'm glad I kind of found Harry when I did so that I wasn't undoing a lot of things. And yet I could probably be a better rider in some ways if um, technically you know, because like at first the relationship with the horse was so bad, it didn't matter if my heels were up or down. Like I'm getting fucked off. You know, right. like who cares if my, if my if my hip bone is, you know, like what difference does that make? That's not going to help me at all. Not until right. I get that. Now, you know, twenty years later, uh, Mirage and I we're out here in the pasture, and I'm leg yielding and haunches in and haunches out. I'm like, oh. Well, that stuff does matter, <laughs> you know, but it didn't matter then. There's no way it could have mattered then. I couldn't stay on the stinking horse. And that's all in the books. Right. <laughs> that's that five horse uh, series, that horse's thought between the reins, that series of five. A lot of that personal memoir of embarrassments in there. And, um, <laughs> oh, that's awesome. That's great. I, love um, it. I get I get emails from people uh, pretty often and they say, 
thank you so much for writing that. It's so honest. And I thought I was the only one. Like, no, you're not the only one. Right. Believe me. That's part of why I started doing this podcast is I've been so fortunate to be able to have these kinds of conversations with so many great horsemen and women. And what I found is, yeah, we're all kind of similar on the journey, on the journey of learning. We're all falling off in the dust and we're all doing things that, you know, are embarrassing and it's just part of the deal. And I think so many people think that it's just them and it it's not. Um, so, well, the horse is a great teacher and they'll humble you over and over. I mean, you're never going to stop learning. And I talk about that in some of the books somewhere too, about, you know, the, the layers of the onion and you peel and there's another one you peel. And, right. and it's, it's wonderful. I mean, I'm getting humbled today. If you think you know it all, then that's, that's your worst enemy. I mean, people yeah. who think they've, they've got it and then they're not still learning. I think that that's the, that's a pitfall that needs to be avoided. Absolutely. You're, I, and I, you're going to get humbled. Absolutely. <laughs> so I've, heard, I've heard someone say that um, if you think you've learned it all, then you have. Yeah, you've learned all you're ever going to learn, right? That's good. Yeah, yeah I that's, I like that's that. A good way to put it. Yeah. So um, the the idea of I know that you know for some folks for listening, um, you might be hearing these things and not really understanding what would that look like. You know, what does it look like to change a horse's thought and and how do you get a horse to be present with you? And I don't know if we'll be able to explain that in this conversation, but that's where, you know, being able to go and study with people like you and Harry, um, Charlie, you know, there's, there's a lot of amazing horsemen and women out there that have this concept and that could show that. Mm-hmm. Um, is there a way that you've come up with that you could explain what that looks like? You kind of, you did talk about it a little bit that they're really, they're looking at you, they're asking you a question. Mm-hmm. So just take, backing up a horse or asking a horse to move. I see people teach, you know, you go in and you like poke your horse and you poke it until he moves off the pressure. Mm-hmm. Then you poke your horse and he moves off the pressure. And then you get like, I'm going to poke you and he moves off the pressure. Right. And then you get to where you just look at that hind end and it goes around. Mm-hmm. What is that? That's so mechanical. And the horse t- tends to have an ill feeling about that because you are asking the horse to get away from you. Mm-hmm. you're like, you better get that hind end away from me mm-hmm. or I'm going to poke it. Right? right. All right. If I want a horse to say, step away from me, I pick up a lead rope. I got a big old loop of slack in it. And I say, Hey, can you step over there? Can you step over there? Mm-hmm. Horse is like, ah, squirrel, you know, like, mm-hmm. okay. So now I got a problem, right? Because here I am trying to get a feel going and get this horse to follow my feel and horses see shiny objects over here and green grass and it's not happening. Right. I'm going to have to do something, right? Or nothing's right. going to change. Right. Well, I might slap my chaps. Hey, now I'm not swinging anything at my horse. I'm not poking my horse. I'm not flagging at my horse to drive my horse over there because that's not what I want. I want to invite my horse to think about going over there and then take himself there because we have a field between us. Right. And we'll give this horse a chance. So the first thing I'm going to do is say something important is happening here. Not the squirrel, Tom, 
right? And so I might have to, if it's a sensitive horse, it may take nothing. Mm-hmm. If it's a dull horse, I might have to do a cartwheel, stand on my head, shake a bottle of rocks, get right. a flag, streamers, you know, mm-hmm. off my head, something. But until that horse is here focused, it ain't going to happen. So my first job is to say, think about this. Now that he's thinking here, I better have something important to, to, to offer. So now I'm going to say, hey, think over there. Think over there. Think mm-hmm. over there. And people are always amazed when I do this at a clinic or a lesson. And I do this a few times and the horse looks over there. <laughs> right. know, it's like magic, but it's yeah. really not. Right. And the reason more people don't get that working is because no one believes it'll work. They think they got to go poke their horse to get them to move over there. Right. 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 Well, I don't even have to get close enough to poke my horse. I can say, hey, think over there, think over there, think, and you'll see this horse look. Now, when a, with Harry, we talk about horses having primary thoughts, secondary thoughts. You know, if it's an Arab, they might have tertiary thoughts. <laughs> it just depends on like, you know, thoroughbred, right? So mm-hmm. a horse almost always is going to look where the primary thought is. Okay. Almost always. Now, they might be looking at the squirrel and have an ear still on me. So I'm getting the secondary thought. Well, I kind of want to be the primary thought because I think right. I'm important enough in this relationship to have the primary thought, right? So right. let the squirrel go. So get him to look over there, look over there. He takes a nice look over there. Well, at first I might say, great. Now I might go up and pet my horse one time and just let that sweet spot come between us. Mm-hmm. And for me, a release of pressure, it's not like, you poke a horse and you release the poke. To me, a release is a connection. It is the sweet spot between you. It is something you are offering where you are connected to that horse and it feels better than anything else in the world. That's that wonderful. is a release in my mind. It's not right. simply a release from pressure. It's so right. much more than that. And I right. think that that's something that's hard to teach and isn't taught a lot, right? right. So now, I ask him to take a look over there again. Well, he looks over there again, pretty strong. Great. Come here. Man, that's awesome. We're going to sit here a minute and do nothing. The horses love sometimes to just do nothing. It's better than doing something. Absolutely. Sometimes it's better than that, right? Yeah. So now, say, okay, third time, take a good look over there. Oh, he's liking this now. So he takes a good look over there. I'm like, I up my energy a little bit, get a little walk in me. He takes a step over there. He's walking out. He's following that field. Squirrel's forgotten. He's feeling good. It's soft. I didn't drive him. I did not poke him. I did not swing the end of my lead rope at his butt. Now we've got this thing together. See, mm-hmm. that's what I'm looking for. I want to offer. If I offer and he's not there, I'm going to get big enough that his mind comes back here. I'm going to do something in that pen. And it can look like some dust flying sometimes. It depends on the horse. Sure. A lot of times a horse is almost like, well, thank goodness. <laughs> right. You know? When I am slapping my leg, I'm not saying you look here right now and don't you look anywhere else. It's not a military exercise that I'm doing. I'm saying, let go of that thought. Right. Well, they let go of the squirrel and they pick up the guinea hen over here. I'm fine with that because they let go of that one when I asked them to. Now, I, I would have preferred to have been more important than the guinea hen. Right. But, but first things first, that is a search. That is a good thing. So now I'm going to say, Hey, let that go. Oh, okay. Well now he's just looking right past me. Eyes are glazing over. Like, no, that's not going to work. 
You're not going to just go to sleep on me. Right. And eventually, so I'm blocking that, blocking that one. I'm interrupting that one. There's still an imbalance here until we get this. And I'm like, right. hi. Awesome. Now we're going to get somewhere. You know, like right. this is going to be so good. You're going to love this. So that's what I'm looking for. And that search is a healthy thing. So it's also important to, to understand that when you're starting this process, creating an imbalance, you're getting big enough to get a change to get them to let go of that. They're running around the pen. You're slapping the flag. A change to anything else is a step in the right direction and to acknowledge that. Now, I may not acknowledge it once or twice because I really don't want the guinea hen being what's what's we're not training about that right now. The beautiful thing about this is if I can get the search working on a rudimentary thing in the groundwork, put a wiggle in the line. What does this mean? Ah, he's trying to kill me. No, wiggle in the line. And then he tries going to the left. No, I'm still wiggling. He tries going to the right. No, still wiggling. He tries coming forward. No, still wiggling. He tries backing up a step. Ah, okay. The idiot quit. Like I'm training this idiot how to stop acting stupid, right? right. You just let go of it. That's the beginning. Now put a little feel on that rope and it starts to back. He starts to back with less and less bigness on the rope. Mm -hmm. The process of getting through that search and discovering that the horse has it in his or her own power to make the human stop being stupid mm -hmm. is a very so now if I'm on his back and I pick up a rein, he's like, rrr, 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 you know, and then all of a sudden he goes, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. I remember that rope thing where he was all stupid with the rope. Let me, let me try this. Oh, that's not working out. Let me try that. That's not working out. Oh, let me try this. What? Slack just came in there. What just happened? And I was in control of that. This human, he's totally trainable. <laughs> it's going to work right. out. And it gets to the point that it doesn't matter what you're trying to do with your horse. You let that search come in there and it they know that there's an answer. No need to panic. No need to get upset about it. There's an answer. I was just going to jump in and say that, um, you know, I think a lot of times it's hard to know, like there's a fine line between the mechanical and the conversation, like what you were just describing with asking them to back up and they were offering different you know, different things, different things. You're saying, keep searching, keep searching. The difference between that and someone that is, you know, going through phases and asking them to back up and they, they go over here and they get bigger, they go over here, they get even bigger. Um, and then they, re they release when they back up. It, it's hard to see the difference, but the difference, I think, if, if I'm understanding you correctly, the difference is in you and that you're, you're not getting bigger if they try something because they're searching, they're with you, they're connected. Whereas if someone that is just doing the mechanics of it, it's no, that's not it. No, that's not it. And you're, you're, um, you're running the risk of teaching your horse. Don't search. Don't try because if you try, I'm going to get even bigger. Is that along the lines of, yeah. yeah okay. Yeah, absolutely. Now, Harry says the greatest thing we can do to our horse is teach them to let go of a thought. And you're out there on the trail. I think of my friend Michelle in her book, The Rabbit yes. Ran Under Her Horse and 
you know, she had a terrible wreck. And, right. and um, you know, if we can get a horse letting go of a thought when we ask here and there and it works out really good for him, then when we're in ideal conditions at home, yes. then we have a better chance of that working out when we're in adverse conditions out on the trail. Yes. Okay. Now, mountain lion comes along, you know, all bets are off, right? Right, <laughs> but, sure. But, you know, every horse has that thing that's going to tip them over the edge and they're living creatures and we, we wouldn't want to change that um, in a way. But if we can get them in the habit of, like, you know, that horse that's ripping around the round pen in my example earlier, mm -hmm. I flag, the horse can let that go and come in and I get this working out really good. Well, once he's drawn, he'll follow me around. Right. Well, then I can start to send him over there. Let's go a few steps and he can come back, send him over there. Well, now this relationship has happened because he wants to, and he may still blah, go off somewhere and easily like, Hey, you might just have to make a couple noises cluck to him and he can like oh okay recover and come back he's able to let go of that thought a whole lot easier than when this thing started out that consistency is really important right and you're providing a like you said a sweet spot for them and they start to realize just a release it's yes. a connection and it's so hard to explain to people what that is but but to call it a sweet spot i don't know people talk about it in sports that mm -hmm. just that your things are just connected and together and balanced right neutral. right sort of right. has a hermetic feel to it but you know like balanced together yes yeah and uh you know all these terms fall short of things but but i think they they help us to begin to think about you know what we, what we might do differently to help our horses to to feel better and to feel better about us and look to us even at, you right know, um so I have a question for you along these lines, and this is this was my second question um, with the book. You had shared um, about that idea of letting go of a thought and how important that is, um, especially when we're home, things are comfortable. We're just asking little, we're asking our horse to let go of little things that is, isn't too hard for them. Um, and you'd shared in the book um, that you had um, a filly that you were working with and you thought things were going really well. And then there came a time where her thought was very much different than yours. And you asked her to get in line with you and it went south fast. And you realized that you yeah. hadn't really ever asked her to change her thought, that, it, that things had just been kind of easy for her to be thinking with you but you hadn't, you hadn't gotten an opportunity to practice ask, asking her to is let go. Is that the picture where she's on her hind legs coming at me like this? No, that, that's oh, another, buddy. that's another good one. <laughs> yes. That's a, well, that's, well, that's a different one of the same thing. <laughs> yeah, right. Right. It might've been, maybe but it was the same, it might've been the same horse, but. I got a good example of that. And it's actually from one of the other books, Horses Thought or Between the Reins, one of them. And, uh, but it, I think it'll, I think it'll give, viewers or listeners a good visual of what, what we're talking about here so niji was here and uh i started wanting to ride him out of the paddock out of the round pen right like oh this is going so great things are going great now we're going to go a ways and i got to where okay we're heading down the driveway this is fantastic this is so great like he's right with me like we're, i'm gonna go a quarter mile down the farm road here on the place you know 
he's right with me. I'm, I'm so excited. Like all my work has absolutely paid off. This is great. And then all of a sudden I say, well, come on, let's go to the left here. And he's like, I don't think so. We're going to the right here. I'm like, now, wait a minute. We just went a quarter mile. And what are you telling me? You're, and, and he's up the hill and he's around and now I'm getting upset and I got to get off and then I got to do some groundwork and I try to get back on and the bank and the ditch and through the woods. And I'm like, no, we're not. And I walk him back home and I'm like, what did I do wrong? He was so good. And he was so good for like, how can he go a quarter mile with me? And then, then that ha- I was so frustrated. But the thing was, he, he was gone the second step, but hmm. he wanted to go the same place I wanted to go. We were oh. in separate parallel universes until we parted ways. Interesting. And that happens to people. It happens to people. See, if the horse's thought is not your thought, but it's still going the same direction, you may not recognize it. If you could repeat that ride with, um, is it Nietzsche? Yeah. Okay. Well, I'll tell you, this goes on in the chapter too. So I was talking to Harry about it. -hmm. He could probably see it in his head. He's probably chuckling, you know. He says, was there anybody there who can watch you ride that would kind of have an idea about this? Well, the woman that introduced us, at that time, she was uh, trimming horses. And I said, can you come by? She said, sure. So I got on Niji and I started riding. Oh, he just got away from me. Like, what? You're joking, right? No, I'm serious. And it took me those experiences. And it was at that time that I start to realize how I can check in with my horse while riding to see if my horse is with me. Okay. Pick up a rein. Is that horse looking? Is that horse following that field? What's like in that rein? Now, can he step? Give me a nice lateral front step over there. Right. Can I bring that thought around so far that the Hind end might step out of the way. Maybe that front end will step over. Is that available to me? If not, and so now when I ride along, you know, well, it gets to the point you almost think of it as a half halt, you know, mm-hmm. where you can kind of you ask a little, are they yeah. softer? Right. Now we're back to that soft feel that was so nebulous that kind of got me to meeting Harry in the first place. See, right. it takes 20 years, people. Right. <laughs> You got a good 20 years. You do get it. <laughs> yeah, right. Right. And then the next the next 20, the future 20, will bring a whole nother understanding. Never boring. Never, yeah. never yeah. Boring. Always yeah. exciting. But does that make sense? It does. does. It does explain? make sense. And if you were to have repeated that ride and checked in with him or asked him to step yeah, over. There wouldn't have been a ride. <laughs> right. Like- right, right. That That's true. But in that example, he wouldn't have, you would have found out that he wasn't with you, that he was still going in that direction that happened to be the direction you were going. But if you checked in with him and said, hey, can you go over here? He'd be like, no, I'm heading this way. Absolutely. And he did. That's and great. that's exactly what happened. Okay. That's really, that's, that's such a ex- good example. That's exactly what happened. Yeah. So um, I'm hoping that if people haven't experienced any of your books yet, that they will <laughs> after listening to you. Cause you know, I I'm literally, I'm one book in and I'm, I'm really excited that you've written so many um, because I think that especially with Harry, there aren't, there, there aren't any really other ways of um, uh, cataloging his knowledge and experience like he there aren't video there's not a video series or that kind of thing so this is a wonderful um historical document that you've created well and i you know to speak to that just a little bit and i think it's just 
really a blessing that I met Harry and um, he hasn't done videos. He's not doing books. That's just not, that's just not Harry, you know, mm -hmm. but he's always been great about reading my material before I put it together and put it mm -hmm. out. It's important to me that it be accurate. So I think because it's my things are filtered through my experiences. I think it makes it tangible to people because my experiences hopefully are uh, um, similar to experiences other people have along the way, things that they're dealing with. Mm -hmm. And Harry is available in, in kind of the way that he was available to me, but it's, it's not, it's not me saying I've got a bunch of answers and this is the program and every right. horse could benefit from this in five easy lessons, you know, and right. that's not Harry and that's not what this is about. Right. This is much more a memoir. And then the six Colts, two weeks uh, trilogy that you're talking about that, that it took me eight years to write right. way. <laughs> because I had 90 pages of notes. I had 92 hours of recorded audio. Oh my and I had gosh. like 10,000 pictures and that takes way more time to work through than me sitting down and writing personal essays about things. Right. So, um, but the beauty of it is, is it is extremely accurate to what happened down yes. to the jokes, you know, like yes. the, 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 the banter, the uh, things that happened and the timelines of things. So, um, but I was so excited to bring people vicariously into one of Harry's clinics. And, and I mean, one that was, unique because it was two weeks long and it was the same young horses. And, you know, like I say, it's like Harry says, so they're started, so they go. That was said mm -hmm. a lot of things. And, you know, to me, there's hardly anything more, um, hardly a greater responsibility than putting a good start on a, on a young horse. And that's why I really cringe when I see people making it into competitions. And to me, it's like, that's a pretty sacred task. And to commercialize it in certain ways to me is it's pretty wrong. Right. Um, so to show maybe how to avoid putting some people problems in horses in the first place, I thought this was a really important clinic, but also just to bring people into what a clinic looks like, what it feels like. Yeah. Enjoy some of the laughs. You know, I think, I think all that stuff needed in there. Yeah. It, oh, I totally think you've been successful with that. Um, I, I'm grateful that you put in the eight years to put this <laughs> yeah. together. And you just, if I'm, if I'm correct, you just finished the trilogy, right? You, the I third just book. finished it. It's okay. only been out a couple months, month and a half. Okay. Yeah. So volume three and volume three is like over 400 pages. I mean, wow. it was hard. And I mean, trying to call parts to make it fit into three volumes with, I thought it was going to be one book. Right. And then it was going to be two books. And then two days into week two, it's like, Oh no, this is going to be three books. And wow. so that was another thing that I was surprised about. So right. yeah, the, uh, the last one's a phone book. <laughs> cool. I'm, I'm looking forward to reading the next two. Um, so um I really appreciate you spending all this time. And I want to, as we wrap up, I want to um, make sure that people know how to one, how to get your books um, or the book and books. Um, and then how can they connect with you? Like I, you're, are you traveling again at this point or? Uh, there's been some talk of putting some clinics together. Okay. Um, great. And so, yeah, that could happen. And, you know, people, I'm always happy if people have a group, 
that they think um, they'd like to have me come out and and do clinic. I'm, I'm always open to um, seeing if that can work out. Okay. Uh, people can go to my website, www.tommotes.com. You know, it's the one that looks like a badly misspelled tomatoes. When you, okay. T-O-M-M-O-A-T-E, but it's tommotes.com. Okay. Um, and they can order the books there. They're also available anywhere you buy books. So okay. um, Amazon or Barnes and Noble, all those those online places also carry them. And at the website, there's a contact page and people can get in touch with me there. Perfect. Um, it's probably as good, a, as good a way as any to get in touch with me. Okay, that's great. I'll make sure that all of that information is in the show notes so people can um, reach out to you. Well, I appreciate your inquisitiveness. Absolutely. It's been such a pleasure and it worked. You're, you're yeah, I know, the, like connection, right? Yeah, I'm I'm excited that it that it worked out. So thank you so much for for doing this. I hope you found that conversation intriguing. I particularly loved his view on the release being a connection and the importance of changing our horse's thoughts. I hope you're inspired to dig in even deeper and check out one of Tom's books. He recommends starting with a horse's thought. You'll find a link to this in the notes below. And a reminder that we get exclusive access to a sneak peek of his new book called Main Thoughts. And all you need to do is either be a subscriber to my newsletter or a member of a Learner's Journey Facebook group. And links to both of those are also in the notes below. Thank you for listening or watching today. And I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day.